0: Brought to you by Leading the Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! it's another knockdown! He's not getting up, Jim! He's not getting up, Jim! He's not getting up! No, he's been knocked out! It's over! Mamma mia! He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! AJ does it in style! Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer... Dragging down quick. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. a good boy, you know. Hello fight fans. It is Tuesday, August 25th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leaving in the Ring Radio Network. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinatos at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinatospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. Let's jump right into it this week. Lots of stuff to cover on the review section, and then the deep dive will be why has the UFC been so successful in its comeback during from you know from the pandemic during COVID while boxing has seen its ratings falter which is sort of I covered the boxing part last weekend now I'm going to look at the UFC uh, or last episode last 2 weeks ago this episode I'm going to cover the UFC but let's get through the review section all right lots to cover here Starting on Saturday, August 15th, early in the day on ESPN, we had a card from across the pond where both Carl Frampton and Michael Conlon won by chaos in complete mismatches. The show was originally going to air on ESPN+. Plus. It ended up airing on ESPN. It averaged 264,000 viewers, peaking around 427,000 viewers. And it was the 104th ranked cable show of the day. It came on around 4 p.m., so not in prime time, not in the traditional time slot for boxing, but I don't really want to spend too much time on this show because we have a lot to get to, and there is not really much to take away from a fight card featuring two Irish fighters uh, going on against really weak opponents, one of them a last-minute replacement, and doing a, a not a great TV rating in kind of the middle of the afternoon Eastern time on ESPN when they had to put it on ESPN because they didn't have much else to show. All right. Let's go over to Showtime. And from the Mohegan Sun bubble, we have David Benavidez beat Romer Alexis Angulo by KO10 in a fight where Benavidez missed weight, so he was not able to defend his WBC super middleweight title. Also on the card, Rolando Romero wins by close unanimous decision over Jackson Marines for a vacant WBA interim lightweight title. Many, including the Showtime broadcast team, thought this was At the very least, a clear victory for Marinas, and some called it an outright robbery. I was watching it closely, but not super closely. The one thing I'm going to say about this, um, and and most of this debate has already happened and and already been out there, I thought that Marinas won the fight when I watched it. However, I will be up front in saying... Not only did I not watch it super closely, but actually from watching it not super closely, there were moments when I was like, oh, Romero landed the stronger punches. And then when you looked at the punch count, which is not always the most, you know, it's pretty hard to do accurately in the moment, but actually there were plenty of rounds with similar punch counts when it was pretty clear that while maybe Marina's outboxed Romero, Romero landed the stronger punches. I can understand why Romero would win those rounds. So I'm not saying it was a robbery. I had it a victory from Reyes from not watching it that closely. Um, I do understand, you know, I do understand why someone like Romero, who hits way harder um, and who clearly tries to hit harder, could have gotten that decision little weird that it was a unanimous decision. Obviously, one of the scorecards was way off, um, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Otto Valine beats Travis Kaufman by KO6 at heavyweight, where we saw Kaufman separate re-injury of his shoulder and subsequently retire afterwards. Valine was up in the fight, though. So this show does 188,000 viewers. It peaks at 254,000 through a quirk of TV ratings, it actually ends up being the 149th rated cable show of the day uh, behind paid programming on the, on USA Network, which was the 148th rated show, but only did 88,000 viewers. It was on when TV uh, viewership level, usage levels, sorry, are much lower because that was on at like 8 a.m. The takeaway here is that right now, Showtime is putting on some very solid fights. Um, they haven't had that moment where non-core boxing fans feel like they need to be back, get in, you know, get their subscription going again, um, you know, and 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 really pay close attention. I think that's part of it. That's part of why this is a bad rating for Showtime. I'm going I'm gonna spend a lot of time this episode kind of explaining bad TV ratings. Um, the other thing I think w- worth noting here, Showtime, I don't I wouldn't suggest this to them. I would suggest considering it. I would they're so anecdotally, I stream Showtime. I watch it on their, you know, on their app. Basically, I would pay five dollars more per month through my cable system, which I have both streaming services and a cable. Uh, subscription. Cable is more beneficial because you can DVR this kind of stuff if you don't want to watch it right live, you know, exactly live. Usually the playback on the streaming stuff takes like an extra day to get into. Um, But the Nielsen ratings do not count me. So I watch these fights live. I think it's pretty significant. Uh, I do not have this kind of research information that I'm sure people have internally at Showtime. But anecdotally, I do know of several big boxing fans who canceled their Showtime subscription at the beginning of the pandemic, and they have not restarted it yet. You know, I think some of them just aren't ready to watch boxing again, unless there's a really big fight. Uh, They're fine watching NBA playoffs. And, you know, there's not any other Showtime shows where they're like, oh, I definitely need to watch. Um, I know some other people anecdotally who haven't started their subscription up for one reason or another. I know some people who kept their subscription all the way through and have binging, they've been binging on their shows and they just, because they don't regularly go to the boxing media, they aren't, they, they like really weren't even aware that Showtime was putting out fights. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting sort of collection of anecdotal reasons for people I know who I've talked to this about, um, I will say I think Showtime deserves a lot of credit for putting on competitive fights up and down their cards. I do hope these viewership numbers improve, but they aren't there yet. And their next fight isn't, you know, until September 19th. So by that time, I, I hope that people have gotten back in the groove of using either the, you know, the cable. If you have cable and you subscribe to Showtime, getting used to going back up to the higher numbers on your cable uh, <laughs> cable channel guide, or uh, just getting back in the habit of you know streaming fights. All right, moving on from Showtime, let's go to Dezone from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And on Dezone we had Jessica McCaskill defeating Cecilia Breakus for Breakus's all of her titles, which is the WBC, WBA, WBO, IBF welterweight titles. Also on the card, Israel Madrimov beats Eric Walker at junior with middleweight by unanimous decision. Um, I don't, you know, there's no ratings for DAZN. I don't want to spend too, too much time on this one. Uh, the bookies don't always get this right here. I think, so there's two, two major points from this one. Number one, which was well covered in the media, um, Madrimov, after he essentially knocked out Eric Walker in the ninth round, in what was a very competitive fight up until then, the referee never should have let the guys fight again, and, and, and it was extremely dangerous to do so. Um, sad sight on that one. The more positive thing here is the bookies don't always get everything right. Bray Clues was a 6-1 to one favorite. Madrimov was a 75-1 to one favorite. and Eric Walker uh, arguably could have been even on rounds going into the ninth round where he suffered the knockdown. Uh, both fights were really competitive. They were really good. I'm not sure why they were in Oklahoma, and Eddie, uh, you know, Matchroom and and Eddie Hearn didn't seem to have a really clear answer either. But um, there we have it. It, 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 You know, Dazone put on good fights, uh, not really meaningful fights in terms of of casual fans. Um, although I do think the female fight was meaningful. But let's move on. Let's move on to Saturday, August 22nd, with another day of a lot more boxing. And let's go to Eddie Hearn's Across the Pond series in his backyard, where Alexander Povetkin beats Dillian White by KO5 in a fight that will likely be KO of the year, probably fight of the year for me. Also in the card, Katie Taylor defeats Delphine Pursuit by unanimous decision Retain All her belts. This was the first major fight. This was a UK pay-per-view. This was the first major fight since the pandemic started for boxing. The bubble that they did in the UK really worked. I think, you know, I don't want to get into America versus other countries, but the UK now has been able to put on a big pay-per-view level fight that meant a lot and it was a great fight to watch and and by the way the Katie Taylor in the other card that was a great fight too there's a lot this means a lot I mean you can go into the WBC and how long Dillian White had to wait and how he knocked him down twice and both guys had crazy body shots through the whole thing and Pavekin pulled it out. I think in the end these guys are going to rematch and I think that makes sense, and I actually think it helps both of them out. I think if Dillian White beats Pavetkin in the rematch, I actually think he, I would still line him up to be the most logical next opponent for whoever comes out of this Fury Joshua thing that we're in. Um, I don't know if I'd go right into it if I was Dillian White, although it sounds like Eddie Hearn's trying to get that to be the case, but we'll see, and, and we don't, there's a lot of unknowns at heavyweight. We don't know. We don't know if if Tyson Fury is going to fight or beat Deontay Wilder again. There, There's going to be an opportunity here for Dillian White, especially if he comes back and beats Pavekin, which I think he's totally capable of doing. I hope this elevates both fighters. It should. It was a great fight. It was very fun to watch. Um, and I hope that the WBC does not drop white much in the rankings and offers him who, you know, whoever wins the rematch essentially, uh, to, to be the, the, the guy, you know, um, with the fake WBC title for whatever that's worth. Hopefully it just means that they end up fighting either Fury or Joshua or the winner of Joshua Fury if Wilder Fury doesn't happen or Deontay Wilder. Hopefully, that whoever out of those big three, hopefully we just see that fight. Okay, moving on. On ESPN Plus later in the day, we had Joe Smith Jr. beating Elider Alvarez by KO7. We had Rob Brandt beating Vitaly Kapalinko, I think, by KO5 at middleweight. No ratings for the card. This, to ESPN's credit, probably the first now this was made this main event was made post-pandemic um this was kind of you know again like the first real fight that i really cared about fought on american soil made after the pandemic started uh james delorme was a well-matched fight i'm not sure i care about that one as much as i did this one Uh, but that was also james Delorme was made pre-pandemic even the fight that we'll see this weekend on ESPN Plus. Ramirez Postal, made pre pandemic uh, <laughs> and moved quite a bit actually. Uh, but I really enjoyed seeing Joe Smith Jr. develop as a fighter. It was a great fight. It was a well matched fight. Both fighters had clear pathways to victory and you saw them working their style to execute that. This was a really good offering from ESPN Plus. I wish it was on ESPN, but. ESPN has been, you know, ESPN basically has playoff basketball. Um, and, and we'll get to that in a second because that did great ratings for them. And the one show that we do have ratings for on Fox, we're going to talk a lot about this one. Sean Porter beats Sebastian Formella in a WBC IBF welterweight eliminator by wide unanimous decision, 12 0 across the board, basically. Also on the card, Fandora beats uh, Sebastian Fandora beats Nathan, uh, Nathaniel Gallimore. The show does an average of 810,000 viewers, peaking at 1.225 million. The main event on its own does 1.077 million viewers. This one I've saved for last. On the heels of my last episode, let's just take a closer look at what's happening here because I think this is almost like the perfect encapsulation of why boxing is having major issues. So This is the worst rating PBC has gotten on Fox since their deal started. And I went through a lot of reasons as to why boxing's ratings haven't been good on my last episode. Obviously, this is a clear case, suffering from some of those reasons. Like, right now, on Fox, there's only Major League Baseball and WWE to promote these kinds of shows. And specifically, both MLB on Fox and WWE SmackDown are suffering from dips in their ratings uh, of their own once they have restarted. And had struggles dealing with issues like not having a crowd and kind of... yeah. I think baseball's probably dealt with it a lot better than SmackDown, you know, for WWE, but uh, not having a crowd has been kind of a big issue. Like, remember, there is no NFL, there's no college football to help promote these types of boxing shows, and I think crucially for Fox, like, they kind of need the NFL or college football literally to remind viewers that Fox is broadcasting live stuff right now, you know, in what... Ideally for Fox will be Thursdays through Sundays, like coming up really soon as their main programming strategy, like live content. You know, (laughs) if you also look at this card up against massive competition on Saturday, in particular due to the huge influx of sports that normally wouldn't be on TV at this time of the year. Like, let's just go through those for a second. The number one, two, and three-rated cable shows of the day were NBA playoff basketball. That's why ESPN put the fight, uh, the Smith Alvarez fight, on ESPN Plus. I think ESPN ran the Clipper game right up against the Fox uh, fights. That averaged one point seven million viewers. It probably took away a lot of boxing fans because you know from the LA market, which bled right into—I'll get to it in a second—but the AB. Uh, we'll get to network stuff in a second. UFC on ESPN was the fourth-rated cable show of the day, averaging 869,000 viewers. Now, it averaged 869,000 viewers following the ESPN uh, the basketball playoff game, but you got to figure most of those basketball fans switched over to ABC, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, and then the UFC built its own audience up to peaking at 1.2 million viewers, so it took a huge dip. Then built it right back up to 1.2 million viewers uh, when the basketball fans left and watched the Laker game, which started at 9:10, right up against PPC boxing. That averaged 3.8 million viewers uh, on ABC. So then, other factor, AEW wrestling was on Turner directly up against Fox as well, uh, as it followed two playoff, game, you know, NBA playoff games on Turner. That did 755,000 viewers. NBC aired the NHL playoffs directly against PBC boxing. That did 1.2 million viewers. And by the way, all these overall numbers maybe, you know, might sound low, but in virtually all the ones I'm talking about right now, the demos were really strong. Like this was the first weekend for, you know, for people basically under the age of 50 where they watch live sports on network and cable TV in decent numbers, like probably since the pandemic started. Another thing that can help explain the low number on Fox, the lead-in was an MLS game that started at six and only averaged 376,000 viewers, which is a complete turd of a lead-in for network TV. If you want another reason, the final reason, and I don't even know if I agree with this, but historically, in the month of August, hut levels are at their lowest. That's households using television. I'm not 100% sure I buy this right now. I think, I actually think the bigger issue is what I, one of the things I mentioned last week where you just, you literally have viewers switching viewing habits and they're streaming stuff or they're, not even watching TV period, but they've canceled their cable subscription and they haven't had a reason to switch it back. I mean, this is probably the first weekend they've had a reason to switch back their cable subscription on. I actually think for the people who have kept it, they they might actually be more likely they're working during the day. uh, you know, not on Saturdays, but they're, they're working during the day when there's all these NBA games. I think they're actually like much more likely to just have television on during the day. Um, you know, if they're home. But who knows? We're, we're in the middle of, a again, a freaking pandemic. So these are all legitimate reasons as to why this PPC number is so low from a TV landscape scenario. And they should be taken into consideration when you look at this PPC number. Because you can also make a case here that when a recognizable boxing name comes on, you know, the broadcast peaked. It did peak at over 1.2 million viewers. But here's the thing. Even if you take the peak number, it's still not great. And by not great, I mean not even remotely good. It still would have finished dead last in every category in all the broadcast networks when you compared them. And let's look at the bad now. We looked at why this number might have been bad from a a positive lens. Let's look at, you know, Let's look at it from like an oh shit lens. All right, just a few other statistics here. All right, so from eight to nine, so for the first hour, and this, by the way, was by far the best fight, the the Fundora-Gallimore fight. From eight to nine, PBC averaged 562,000 viewers, Um, which actually, on the positive side, was a nice build from the MLS lead-in. But if you compare it to just another network, CBS, you know, Fox to CBS, CBS was showing a repeat of Magnum PI, which is really a repeat of a reboot of Magnum PI. CBS averaged 1.874 million viewers for the repeat of the reboot. And trust me, most of those were older people. Like CBS only got a 0.2 rating in adults 18 to 49 for that hour. But you know what? That be PBC. PBC only got a zero point one in the same demo. <laughs> you want to look at something really bad in women eighteen to forty nine? If you look at shares, uh, you know, boxing on Fox got a zero share. Granted, it's women, but that is bad. A zero share is bad. By nine PM, boxing numbers improved slightly. From nine to ten PM, they went up to seven hundred twenty six thousand viewers, but it's still dead last by a lot. In this hour, CBS is now running a repeat of 48 hours, and getting almost 2.2 million viewers. Most of them older. Only a 0.3 rating in 18 to 49 still beats boxing, which got a 0.2 rating. NHL, by the way, that like that can start to be included here. From nine to ten, they were only averaging 1.2 million viewers. in only getting a zero point three rating in adults eighteen to forty. NHL has been weird. It's gotten really good ratings on NBC Sportsnet when it's aired on Sportsnet, um, and then it's it, it had it's like it doesn't do that much better by going on to regular NBC than by being on NBC Sportsnet. Kind of weird. But compare this compare this to the Laker game because by this time. In the, in the 9 to 10 p.m. hour, they're getting 2.8 million viewers, and they're going up. They're getting a full 1.0 rating in 18 to 49, um, and, and viewership will continue to increase. And here's – you know, what are the takeaways? Like, it's a shame that Fundora Gallimore had the least amount of eyeballs because it was a really good matchup on paper and ended up being a really fun fight in terms of how it played out in the ring. You know – but sort of the elephant in the room here is that Sean Porter fought a guy in the main event that I never had really heard of before. You kind of had to be a fan of European boxing. You know, like, he's, he's decent. Like, he's probably a top 25-ish guy. Uh, but you would have had to really know European boxing to know who he is. Sean Porter, not a huge star. But he's a star. like He's a boxing star. And if you, saw, if, if you even remotely know boxing, you knew that there were only two potential outcomes here, Porter winning by KO or Porter winning every single round. And I've gone through this whole section talking about, I, I've mentioned it as both Fox and PBC. I got to say, this is a Fox issue. This is not really a PBC issue. Because sometimes, like Showtime, has somehow managed to get PBC to put on quality fights on their network. Fox, though, has had their two lowest-rated shows of their deal with PBC since the restart. And this this isn't crazy to suggest this, like to just say that there's there's an issue at Fox, and because there's not an issue at Showtime, at least in terms there's viewership issues right now but there's not a competitive quality issue. I mean, even if you look at the reported purses to the California State Athletic Commission, and I know they're mostly bullshit, but Porter made a million bucks and Formella only made $35,000. Now, I bet both fighters got paid more than that, Um, but even if you think, okay, what if Porter only made a little bit more than that and then Formella got like, Three or four times or even five times that amount in other payments, still, it's like how can you even credibly put on a fight with that kind of pay disparity unless there's like a really logical reason for it? And there's not there's not a logical reason for it like this is this is a fight that HBO or Showtime in their hey you know not even in their heyday, like as as hBO was in you know steep decline and and Showtime at any point would have just said no to this fight. Like James DeLorme, that was at least a competitive fight. But let's be honest here. That's probably, it, it, you know, when PPC on Fox started as not a time buy and, and started their series where they where they got a license fee. That would have been an undercard on Fox. And those guys didn't make much money when you looked at how much they reportedly got paid. That's kind of a cheap card. They would have been a headliner of an FS1 card back when this started. That was also scheduled pre-pandemic. I mean, Porter wasn't even in a remotely competitive fight. And we're surely going to see the same thing this weekend as Lara, who's probably less of a boxing star than Porter, will fight in an equally non-competitive fight against another opponent I've really never heard of. And then Ugas will fight the week after that against Abel Ramos. Abel Ramos, significantly better and and more of a TV-friendly fighter than Formella or Vendetti. Um, But it's not like Abel Ramos is widely known to casual fans, and he might be just as much of an underdog as both Formella and Vendetti. He might just make it a more fun fight to watch. If you're wondering where I'm going with this, well, if you want another reason as to why these ratings are really, really bad, as to all the reasons I've given above, It's because the fights are not competitive at all. And this is something Fox can control. And like I said, quite frankly, Showtime does control it. So it is not a PBC issue across the board. So to dovetail into what I was talking about in my deep dive last week, we have a scenario here where there has been no reason for a casual viewer of any sport other than MLB, which is playing regular season baseball, to even turn on Fox. I mean, WWE has had their viewership issues because COVID um, has obviously not allowed them to do anything in front of a crowd, and a crowd is clearly an important part of what they're doing. But Fox has no way to promote anything, any kind of other programming. College football, NFL games, they're not happening. I really hope NFL happens soon for them. <laughs> but basically, Fox is squeezing in three PPC cards you know, really, four in a really tight window. Combine that with a glut of other live sports, including NBA, NHL playoffs in direct competition for viewers. Combine that with UFC. It's a hard environment. It's a hard environment. You add in matchmaking that like doesn't even seem to get a sniff of oversight from Fox, and you have a recipe for their two lowest-rated shows since this whole series started. And we will likely see two or three more of their lowest rated shows coming up very soon. You know, if you really want to go crazy with this and I'm not even joking here, more people watched Fox news on Saturday night at 10 PM. than watched Fox 2.3 million people watched the Greg Gutfeld show on Fox news. And you could, you know, as you can imagine, many of them were older people at 9 PM. Justice with Judge Jeanine was on, which did 2.7 million people, many of them older. But both these shows actually had relatively comparable overall numbers, even in the 18 to 49 demo, than regular Fox had. I mean, they probably lost out on total viewers in 18 to 49, but not by that much. Whatever Waters World is at 8 p.m. on Fox News probably did beat boxing in total viewers, 18 to 49, which is Fox News' 8 p.m. show. So this is actually a nice time to transition into the deep dive because for the deep dive this week, as I said up top, I wanted to look at why the UFC has been so successful in coming back while other sports, mostly including boxing, which is what I will focus on, have not. I'll look at specifically what they're doing that other leagues or sporting organizations just aren't doing, how their business model is set up to succeed during these times, and what are some of the differences between UFC, specifically in boxing. Um, you know, And like what I mentioned last week, this is a multifaceted issue. There are lots of reasons here. And I don't think like one of them is so much more incredibly important than the others. Um, the thing I have hammered home here is that minus fans in the crowds, UFC is basically putting on the same product that they were pre-pandemic. I'm not sure any other sport right now can say that. Maybe NASCAR, maybe golf. Um, I'm not a huge NASCAR or golf fan, so I am not qualified to make that comparison um, or that assertion is probably the better word for it. But that's pretty much it. So let's look... Overall ratings and pay per view buys for the UFC since the pandemic started. Kevin Aoli wrote a great article on this, and the UFC ratings since the pandemic started are up thirty percent compared to what they were last year. They've been praised like literally on Disney stock calls. They've been praised as the primary driver behind growth of the ESPN Plus. They've done really well with regular ESPN cards on Saturday nights, as well as the prelim cards too, which is the preliminary cards to their their pay per view. And many of these are regularly getting over a million viewers. And by the way, um, if you compare that to Fox, it is apples to orange, oranges because Fox has access to many more households and is free compared to where ESPN, you have, do have to pay a cable tier um, in virtually every scenario. Getting a million viewers on ESPN is excellent, especially when you do it regularly and you do it over like a four hour show. Their audience numbers are in very desirable demos for advertisers that has not changed much during the pandemic the whole thing in terms of the viewership numbers is just really impressive like basically every every other thing there was an initial bump for everything since then since everybody's kind of realized oh the product not quite as good as i would have hoped for My viewing habits have changed maybe a little bit blah 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 blah, blah. I've, I've gone into massive detail about that ufc their product never changed. It's been exactly the same, minus the crowd, basically. But what are the conditions that are leading to this? Like, the first thing I would say here, and it's just simply that the UFC relies on gate as an income source way less than other sports. Credit to John Nash, who has written extensively on this, a few others have done it as well, um, and especially in the MMA world, they've been better at sort of articulating it in a real detail-oriented way. But I've seen two different estimates for live revenue um, for the UFC. One is between 10 and 12%. The other one was 15%. It's basically, I think all estimates would say 15% or lower. For places like the NFL, I've seen estimates for the gate that NFL, it. it and game day revenue makes 16% of their revenue, maybe a little bit more than that. For MLB and and NBA, it's been publicly talked about as much as 40%. I think smart people in in the business of sports would peg it closer to like 30%. NHL, probably much closer to what NBA and NFL are doing. Um, If we're going to lump boxing into this discussion, what we're seeing here is boxing is still – Uh, Not even looking at doing this across the board where they care about gate revenue as a percentage of their overall revenue, they still look at it event by event, uh, sort of what I would call the one-night-stand approach, which is much different than the UFC's approach. More on that in a second. But... The thing here that you have to give the UFC a ton of credit for is building the infrastructure to maximize all the other different income streams. Because they're not... When you look at why gate is such a low percentage of their overall revenue, it's not because they're lazy when it comes to their gate and just relying on TV money. It's because they've built up all their other revenue streams. You have to give them a ton of credit on this. It's not just a simple answer. It's like, this is, here's what I mean. As opposed to larger leagues like the NBA or MLB or NHL where there's a huge amount of volume of games and lots of fans who like to attend, yeah, TV revenue is important. But simply because of the sheer volume of live events, the gate is a huge piece of the pie. I mean, you know, you've got like, a league with 30 or 32 teams or whatever playing like 80 some games a year in those instances for major league baseball, you've got 162 games a year. In both the NFL and the UFC, they structure their entire event and their event schedule as more of a TV product than a live event product. Like this isn't by accident. Like the UFC has a product that works really well on TV and they've managed to maximize the TV rights both domestically and worldwide in pretty impressive fashion. And what's also really impressive about it is they took something in the pay-per-view revenue that used to be extremely erratic and they have basically turned that into another steady form of income in, in, in the way they do it. I mean, basically, the top-line info, UFC gets paid $150 million per year from ESPN. 150 million per year from ESPN Plus and then allegedly they get around 200 million per year guaranteed from pay-per-view from ESPN Plus with upside if the pay-per-views sell really well. Now they don't do pay-per-view splits the same way boxing does it. ESPN sells pay-per-views exclusively through ESPN Plus and essentially gets they guaranteed a set amount of money per pay-per-view event, so look, if one does not that well, it's okay for UFC, but they want to hit, you know, the, they definitely want to get in that 250 range per, but if it, if one is only 150,000 buys, that's okay, and it's okay for ESPN as well, because ESPN, when they do the really big ones that are six or 700,000 buys, ESPN does really, really well on those. Boxing still treats pay-per-view as a one-night stand event. ESPN bundles them. UFC bundles them. And then the other thing I've mentioned this before, UFC double dips on their pay-per-view event. They get paid a license fee for the fights they do on regular ESPN as the prelims, and then they get a guaranteed pay-per-view revenue stream plus upside on ESPN Plus for the pay-per-view portion of the same event. Then when you factor in the UFC's infrastructure, I've talked about this a lot, it's big enough that it allows them to reap the benefits of like Having people employed and their only job is to maximize sponsorship revenue or integrate sponsorship revenue into their product or maximize international TV revenue, maximize revenue from Fight Pass, the streaming service that they have, maximize the revenue and marketing capabilities of all their content. Like when you look at the, the, the overall content machine they have on social media, it's like way more reach than any single individual boxing entity. You know, it, it's it's really impressive and they and they get a lot of revenue from it. So you see the gate isn't relied on as much. Yeah, they do run 30 odd events per year and they do a good job of selling tickets. But like I said, compared to NBA or MLB or something like that where there's 82 or 162 games a year, and there's thirty teams, play, you know, or more playing that, that same amount of games. It's just less impactful. And when you compare UFC to boxing on this front, you know, there's some similarities, but there's a lot of divergences too. I mean, boxing on a lower level, the gate is significant. You know, but as I've mentioned before in the show, like there's less production factors. You know, there's some less production costs, but then there's obviously COVID costs, which add a lot to the event costs. So yeah, the loss is significant, but given the overreliance on TV money and boxing, you can still do the shows. But once you get to more meaningful fights in boxing that aren't on pay-per-view, the gate starts to become closer to that 1 million mark where it does affect fighter pay. You know, a non-pay-per-view fight that can have a gate of a million bucks. I mean, All of a sudden, you can say, okay, well, there's a star fighting a boxing. That higher gate can be used to pay for better opponents. So given that the gate is completely gone, that's partially why we're seeing guys like Sean Porter fight someone making $35,000. I know they're not really making $35,000, but someone we've never heard of. If there was a gate, it'd probably pay for a better opponent. you know, for boxing, if you don't get the pay-per-view, you know, the gate for the pay-per-view events, it really affects their, you know, it impacts how viable they are because they're not bundled into a series of 12 pay-per-view events per year. They're all looked at as event by event. So it's one thing if you can't get the gate that could be two or three million bucks, you can probably still do that just because the fighters want to get paid. But then when you're talking about Canelo, where there's like, potentially a 7 or $8 million gate even for a bad opponent and over $20 million for a good opponent. Wilder Fury 2 did close to $17 million. Like, the only fighter in the UFC right now who's in that universe is Conor McGregor, and he hasn't fought. He hasn't fought. But minus him, I mean, UFC is business as usual in terms of making fight matchups. I mean, the UFC is basically saying, hey, we're just going to make the exact same fights we were making pre-pandemic. Which, by the way, we're really competitive. Top to bottom in the card. And we don't care if on an event-by-event basis we'll make less gait for a star fighter. We'd rather keep our brand exactly the same. We can afford to absorb that 10 to 12% loss in revenue. And in fact, it's probably worth it in the long run to ensure that we don't have a potential dip in TV viewership. Second thing here is the athlete cost. I've discussed this before in other contexts, but UFC fight purses are somewhere between 20 to 30% of their overall revenue, whereas boxing is at least double that and probably more. Like most professional sports operate where athlete salaries are somewhere around 50% of the overall revenue. If you want to compare UFC to most other sports, Like there's also there isn't a fighter union that they need to worry about from a collective bargaining standpoint or a salary cap. So this is like the best of all worlds for them. They don't have to try and do some large negotiation to lower fighter pay because they don't need to lower fighter pay. Fighter pay was already low. They'll just keep it the exact same. And they don't have to negotiate with any kind of union or deal with any kind of future salary cap situation that the NBA and the NFL are clearly going to have to deal with. They just literally keep things the same, like running same as they were. All these other sports need to figure out these crazy cap and union issues. Boxing literally needs to renegotiate everything on a case-by-case basis. I mean, the UFC lawsuits that we've seen basically expose boxing promoters. You know, their fighter costs were like 60 to 80% of total revenue in some cases, in most cases. But needless to say, it's a lot easier to pay your athletes the same exact amount when they represent a significantly lower overall cost to your bottom line than they do in any other sport. It's also, quite frankly, a big reason as to why they were able to come back so quickly. You know, again, other people in MMA, the aforementioned John Nash, Paul Gift, there have been people who have written about this way more extensively than I could talk about it. But another thing here, and this, I think, is important. While boxers at the highest level make significantly more than MMA fighters, at the bottom end of the broadcast, it's not really that different. And again, with the caveat that <laughs> fight purses are not always accurate when reported to the commissions. But if you look on the Fox Porter card, Porter made a million bucks. No one else on the card made over thirty-five grand. Even if the fight purses for all the other fighters are doubled or tripled or whatever, like these purses are comparable to what UFC fighters make. But for UFC, it's incredibly rare, if not unprecedented, for a fighter to make a million bucks on a on a regular TV show like Porter did. And herein lies the issue. I'm all for fighters making as much money as they can. But no one, like I mentioned above, no one wants to watch a show where one fighter made a million bucks and his opponent made 35 grand. And what's funny is you look at the, that show, like the Fedora gallimore fight was really good TV. I, I think they both made like a reported 30 grand or something. I have no idea if that's what they actually made. I hope they made more. But it's like, oh, when both fighters made the same amount, you put on a competitive fight. Yeah, that's what happened. When one fighter made like 15 times the or whatever, you know, 30 times what his opponent made. I know that's not the case, but still. Not a competitive fight. Shocking. That's an issue for boxing. UFC does not have that. I mean, there are disparities in fighter pay based on how long you've been there. But for the most part, the structure's pretty straightforward. So I think the third thing that is really important since the UFC, you know, when, when you talk about UFC in the pandemic, has been like, the nature of combat sports, both as a logistical thing and a TV product. Um, And I think there's a lot of comparables here, but I don't want to lose sight of kind of this overall point where, and I've made this a lot in the past on this podcast, so I don't want to belabor it, but like both MMA and boxing, individual combat sports where bubbles can work and you can put on programming. Other individual sports are like this too. But somehow, this and and this is I think kind of what drives me crazy with with the opportunity that boxing had. Like somehow UFC did a pay-per-view in April. Like this whole thing happened. This pandemic basically happened in the United States in mid-March. And it was like the 13th or 14th or 15th where the Gobert incident happened. And it was kind of like within two days, they're like – Nothing was happening basically. And like within a week after that, most cities or most major cities, New York and LA and San Francisco, were like really close to being totally shut down. Somehow, though, UFC does pay per view in April. It's essentially the first sport to come back in any major or minor way. It, can, it comes back like six or seven weeks before boxing. It's had way less COVID issues. It has had COVID issues in the comeback, but way less than almost every other sport except the NBA, who took like months to come back after that. And the UFC specifically took a lot of crap from the media and boxing promoters, by the way, in in, in which how they came back. All that, in retrospect, seems completely unwarranted. You know, and again, This point, I've talked about this at length where I'm like uncomfortable repeating myself. It frustrates me that the pathway to broadcasting fights in a bubble like seemed to be there. And I credit Top Rank for coming back, especially as early as they did. But even with them, UFC beat them by a wide margin and Top Rank like did not put on the same level of show. Like Top Rank dipped their toe into the water. Still credit them for coming back. I was vocal about saying DAZN had a huge opportunity to come out and put on major events. I mean, it would have been pretty much the only sports content provider around the world putting on a major event. Probably would have crushed it on uh, subscription numbers. I think Showtime could have come back sooner. I do credit them for coming up with a really solid schedule and being able to announce it all. But like, you know, the UFC was trying to do shows in March. They were literally trying to do shows in March. They ended up doing shows in April. When no one else was doing anything. They did Fight Island back when like other sports were doing exhibitions. And Top Rank was doing like the Tuesday, Thursday sort of like, you know, <laughs> lots of club level fights and one main event that might be good but might be affected by COVID. And again, to credit Top Rank on that, a lot of that was the, it was not Top Rank making those calls. It was Nevada Athletic Commission. Like, the NBA was overly cautious here. Overly cautious. But to its credit, it's had a really successful bubble. And although its ratings have been lower than one could have expected, it, it, it came back. I mean, Major League Baseball has, ha- has had major issues. And we don't, you know, we don't even know if the NFL is going to have major issues or not. Of course, my daughter is going to cry at this moment. Well, that sums up the pandemic for you doesn't it even in a pandemic I still got kid issues from you know we're, we're all at home the whole time but even while I was on a roll I mean you gotta remember here I know back in March or April pulling off a bubble was crazy and for the people who went first it seemed crazy but like The National Women's Soccer League doesn't have nearly the revenue that the NBA does. And they pulled off an incredibly successful bubble. The MLS pulled off an incredibly successful bubble. Bubbles work. You don't need to have the revenue that the NBA has to pull off a bubble. You don't need to do it at Disney. Basically, every league or sport that has put really critical thought into a bubble has done it pretty well. The UFC was first, and the first mover's advantage was huge. And that led to really incredible pay-per-view numbers of fighters that were not major stars until really recently. In fact, and one of them was just not even a star fighter on the fight. As we move down the list to less structural issues, but still significant ones, Going back to Fight Island, UFC marketed that so well. I mean, they teased it out so well. They used it as a prop to sell the Masvidal pay-per-view. You know, it did great TV ratings with the one exception of that midweek ESPN show. And it did them with mostly foreign fighters. Yeah, there were some some Americans, but, like, mostly foreign fighters. I mean, that's why they did Fight Island. And it's another case where, like, if you listen specifically to most of the MMA media... They kind of ridiculed Fight Island, and (laughs) I mean, they probably had a right to. I mean, it's not; it wasn't even technically an island. It was, I guess, a fairly well-established place in the MMA world that where there had been fights there before. Not really what Dana White initially pitched, but like if you talk to casual fans, most of them thought it was really cool. They thought it was incredible, and it was pitched as kind of a crazy thing, and it kind of was a crazy thing, and most. Casuals are going to watch it again. I think there's another thing here. Smaller issue. I think UFC's mostly stayed out of politics, especially just if you watch their broadcasts. Um, That's not really a jab at the NBA. I think the NBA... um, Ethan Strauss wrote a great piece on this, whether you agree with it or not. I do think... Just the way that our society has been politicized, unless you're the NBA who's done a really good job with it, staying out of politics, probably a good move, really important. I think, especially in the UFC's case, if it is a landmine given uh, what we know about uh, the demographics of people who watch the UFC and Dana White's relationship with Donald Trump. Uh, just this would be the wrong time to trumpet that kind of relationship. And, you know, for the most part, uh, they've stayed out of it completely. I love politics. I don't really care to see it in my sports. Um, and I think that's been, a you know, probably a lesser factor. But I think more of like one of those things where you're avoiding a landmine than doing anything really well. I think another thing, smaller issue here. Actually, smaller issue is probably not it. I think this is actually a big issue, but more of a simple issue. And I think that's distribution. One of the things I've talked about on the show quite a bit again over the years, um, you know, how people consume media. And, and I've talked about this a lot more in COVID. Like there's obviously been major shifts in how people consume TV and how people consume media media in general. And I think here, and this is especially true, it's mostly true when you compare UFC to boxing, but even other sports too. So UFC distribution is pretty straightforward. They're exclusive to ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. If you want to buy a pay-per-view, the only way to do it is through ESPN Plus. Especially since the beginning of the pandemic, like ESPN has just put all the UFC content on both linear ESPN and ESPN Plus. Virtually every other sport is multiple channels, multiple distribution places. Specifically with boxing, boxing is streaming on DAZN and streaming on ESPN Plus. It is on regular network with Fox. It is on cable's lowest tier of a package with ESPN. It is on the cable sports package with FS1. It is then on cable's highest tier with Showtime, or you can stream Showtime, whichever you prefer. Pay-per-views are available via your cable system, via ESPN+, via Fox Sports app, via Showtime's app, via a million different streaming apps like Fight TV, and then, of course, video game consoles like PlayStation. You get the point. Even the NBA. Kind of confusing with games going on between Turner and ESPN and ABC UFC is simple on this, and I think these are all sort of some of the subtle or not so subtle reasons that UFC has been able to be so successful. They're the why, because really, when you look at why UFC has been successful, it's, I think, it's because it's putting on the same product as it was pre-pandemic, and I don't really think anyone else is doing it, but these are the whys. All right, on to the preview section. I'm recording this Tuesday night, probably by the time most of you are listening to it. The Jeff Horn-Tim Zoo fight will have already happened. I'm very much looking forward to watching that. I will not be watching it live. I will be watching it without knowing what happened, though. On Friday, August 28th, or sorry, on Saturday, August 29th, from the top-ranked bubble in Las Vegas and on ESPN+. Plus, Jose Ramirez fighting Victor Postal for Ramirez's WBC and WBO junior welterweight titles. Also on the card, Arnold Barbosa fighting Tony Luis. Ramirez is like 6-1 to one as a favorite. Barbosa is about 15-1. Both opponents, for me, do have pathways to victory, especially Victor Postal. Um, this is a really good fight, again, made pre-pandemic, not post-pandemic. Uh, but I'm just, at this point, I was ready to see it in February. I'm ready to see it now let's let's just see it and move on. Although it is competitive, uh, I think it's a really interesting storyline as Postal is basically a PVC fighter. So if he wins two of these belts, top rank goes from having all four major belts at 140 to missing two of them. And it probably blows a couple sig- significant fights for top rank here. Uh, maybe that wouldn't have happened towards the end of this year, but obviously it takes a lot of luster. Of anything Josh Taylor Jose Ramirez related. You know, and it potentially impacts Terrence Crawford future opponents down the line. Alright, on Saturday, August 29th on Fox, we have Aerosandi Lara fighting Greg Vendetti for Lara's WBA regular junior middleweight title. Also on the card of and Noangula fights Caleb Truex, no odds out yet on these fights, but I expect Lara to be a huge favorite. I expect Truex to be a huge favorite. And I'm like one or two fights away from just sort of being sad if Angulo is still fighting at all. uh, Because he gave us great entertainment, but he did most of that almost a decade ago at this point. All right, on Saturday, September 5th, from the top-ranked bubble in Las Vegas and on ESPN, we have Jamel Herring fighting Jonathan Akendo for Herring's WBO Jr. lightweight title. No odds out yet, but previously Herring was somewhere between a 10-to-1 and a 14-to-1 favorite. Alright, next episode. I have a feeling I will be doing something uh, significantly different for you guys on the deep dive. But I look forward to getting into that um, in the next episode. Until then, enjoy the fights. I think we'll have some good ones this upcoming weekend. Enjoy the holiday if you can. I mean, God, we're we're in a pandemic. And I'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Did you get what you was looking for?